Welcome. You are talking with Second Wind, and we give you the courage to dream big, inspires you to play with confidence, and helps you get your second wind for your next life adventure. Now, I am your host, Joyce Buford, and I am delighted as usually to have you here with us today. Today's show is going to be so interesting and challenging and I think refreshing because we're going to be exposed perhaps to the first time a, a situation that is that is tackling the problem of pornographic experiences in relationships. Are you familiar with this? Have you been touched with it in your life? Well we'll see through our guest today. Her name is Rosie McKinney. Rosie is an author, a podcaster, a founder of Fight for Love Ministries. Her heart is for women in relationships affected by porn addiction, especially those in the lonely and confusing stages between discovery and recovery. She grew up in a small seaside town in Yorkshire, English, and you are going to hear the most divine English accent today as she tells us her story. Now she lives in a small seaside in California, so she definitely loves the ocean. Rosie's mission is very, very big, and I think she's going to make that mission a real life as it is now. Her mission is to give women hope that a porn-free marriage is possible and to educate and empower them with the faith and the facts that helps them go through their transition. Welcome, Rosie. It is delightful to see you here, have you here, listen to your voice. <laughs> Good morning, Joyce. It is my pleasure to be here with you. Yes. So this divine accent that you all hear is Rosie. The Southern accent that you also hear on the end, other end is Joyce. Very two distinctive voices for sure. So we have a subject today that some people may not have not experienced before that, but that does not mean that it is not prevalent in our society. And I think that's what your work is reflecting to us. So I'm going to ask some little basic questions as we go through this interview today, because I think it's um, maybe the first time that some people have, have been introduced to your subject. So what brought you to this subject? What was your defining moment that perhaps transitioned you into this work, showing how important it was? Great question. No, this wasn't always my dream growing up, Joyce. <laughs> No, funnily enough. Um, no, this was my story. And actually, it was my story twice. So I experienced this in a previous relationship before getting married, before becoming a Christian. Mm -hmm. I was in a long term relationship with an unrepentant porn addict. And I tried everything to mm. get porn out of that relationship and make him see it was a problem and try to get him to see how much it was devastating me. And nothing worked. So I just exhausted myself for years, traumatized myself for years, and eventually that all fell apart. So now I become a Christian and now I meet this lovely guy um, who tells me that porn has been a struggle in the past, but from his attitude, um, it's very clear that he didn't want it and that he's worked on it and it's not going to be a problem. So mm. all in love, we get married, and then it becomes very clear from the honeymoon onwards that this is still an issue affecting lots of aspects of our relationship. And so I just sort of had a, I think it was like PTSD. It was like, no, I'm not doing <laughs> yeah. this again. I can't, yes. I know how this goes. I have been on this merry-go-round. I'm not putting myself through this for years. I'm just, I just physically cannot do it. So even though I had given up my job, my family, my friends, my country to move to America, with my oh, yes. new husband, I said, enough, I'm not doing this. You get help or that's it, which was uh -huh. you know, not that pleasing to my parents at that point. Yes. Um, I spent thousands of dollars on a lovely wedding. Um, mm. but, but it's like, I cannot do this again. I know where this goes. So yes. inadvertently, 
I did exactly the right thing, which is setting a firm boundary, drawing yes. that line in the fan, uh, yes. line in the yes. sand. Yes. But I didn't know it at the time. I just did it out of desperation. It was like, yeah. I don't know what to do, but I can't do this again. Yes. So oh. fortunately, he, um, he didn't want to lose me. So he was like, okay, okay, I'll do whatever it takes. So he got into recovery. I got into recovery because I was like, okay, there's a common denominator here and it seems to be me. Is there something, is there some reason that this keeps happening to me? And also I needed healing from, you know, just the trauma of being through all this and living with an addict, you know, because pornography addiction, it's a real addiction. It's a process addiction is really traumatizing. And, uh, you need help and you need healing to actually cope with what's happened to you in the past, but also navigating the recovery while you're living with an addict is like living in crazy land because they're crazy. You're crazy. Everybody's crazy. And you both need tremendous support. So yeah. that's, that was our story. And eventually with a lot of hard work, we came out the other side. Um, wow. and he, he retrained as a, um, a certified sexual addiction therapist. So he now oh. helps guys all the time. Wonderful. And I started yeah. um, wives groups a long time ago. And then recently, about three years ago, I wrote sort of an idiot's guide to porn addiction um, for women in exactly my situation. Like, what is going on? What do I do? Why won't he stop? Does it mean he doesn't love me? I don't understand help. I just wanted a really basic guide to help women in that horrible stage of, you know, this is going on, but you've got no idea what to do about it? What do you do? But do you buy more laundry? Do you diet? Do you yeah. forgive yeah. him? Do you overlook? Do you, what yeah. do you do? Um, and there didn't seem to be anything in the market. There's loads of great books in recovery. There's so much good stuff out there, but if you don't know it exists and you don't even know that that's the path, how are you going to yes. get there? So that was my um, reason for starting, for writing the book, but off yeah. the book, I'm like, the book's fine. But what women really need is they need to hear stories they need to connect with real people. They need to see that, you know, this is just ordinary people. This is just, you know, normal, normal women going through this. So we started the podcast with a group of wives I'd worked with um, and my husband had worked with. And we'd, we're all in porn-free marriages and just, just put our stories out there. And it yeah. grew. And so the podcast yeah. grew and then we started a support group. And now we've, the ministry um, has grown and we're just out there creating this little army of proactive <laughs> women you know, just yes. telling other sisters that it is possible. It is possible. Yeah. And there is hope. You don't have to stay silent and ashamed and suffering on your own anymore. You don't have to be stuck. You really don't. Ah, what freedom for those women that know they're in that type of relationship and know their partner is active in porn. Um, my question right now, or I need to know, Rosie, I need, I'd like for you to tell me what is it that draws, and I, is it primarily men or women? Can women take that role on of the porn watcher? Absolutely. It, oh, they can? Yeah. A yeah. third of all porn users are now female. A third. Really? Yeah, absolutely. It's the fastest growing demographic of um, porn users and the you know, global sex industry is actively targeting them and trying to shift our thinking into assuming that watching women being degraded and abused and all that stuff is actually feminist and liberating and empowering, you know, take hold of your sexuality oh. and watch others be abused. It, yeah. it, it just makes no sense, but that's what's being pumped at, at us. And because of mm -hmm. the um, availability, you know, it's everywhere. And the fact that young people today they feel more strongly about people who don't recycle than they do about people who watch pornography. It has been mm -hmm. so normalized and mm -hmm. it's ubiquitous. It's everywhere that people mm -hmm. just fall into this. And the research has proven that our brains are equally susceptible. It's not what we're watching that, put, that, that um, keeps us hooked. It's what actually happens in your brain when you're watching it. So you get these oh. words of happy chemicals, just like gambling. Yes. I do not yes. believe that sitting at the table gambling or, you know, being doing online gambling is the thrill. It's not actually what you're doing. It's the chemicals that get going in your head. Yeah. So it's called a process addiction. So once you understand that, it's like, oh, okay. So these aren't people who really, you know, like the women who are watching, it's not that they want to enact what's going on, although mm -hmm. it can mm hold -hmm. your arousal template. So it can impact. It's the fact that they're, it's a coping mechanism. 
So it becomes a way that actually you can medicate yourself whenever you're feeling some sort of you know, emotional distress or whatever, you can medicate easily by just switching on the computer. Okay. So it's not like lack of emotional expression that they go to this? Well, that is a good question because actually pornography is not actually the problem. It is the solution to the problem, which is an intimacy disorder. So it is the Ah. fact that they haven't got a healthy coping mechanism for dealing with uncomfortable feelings that we all experience in life all the time. So if you've learned as a teenager or even just as, you know, as an adult, internet pornography is incredibly addictive and it affects you much more significantly and quickly than our old videos and magazines that was Mm. available when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, you always hear about those guys that had their stack of, of uh, what was the magazine that was so big back Playboy, then? probably. Playboy! Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you, they'd always have this stack as though it was a, um, a right or a... Symbol. <laughs> yes, I am powerful. I have those magazines. Yes. But, but now I think they're not as... I would believe that sitting in a dark room watching porn would carry with it shame. Am I wrong? Well, you'd hope so, wouldn't you? But kids have told us that people are doing it in class now. It is <gasps> what? So, yeah, yeah. I nearly fell off my chair as well. Kids are open. Kids will tell you. You know, they're doing it on the school bus. They're doing it. You know, back oh. of the class. It is so ubiquitous, which is why we need to equip our kids as young as we possibly can, because statistically they are going to be exposed. It's not a question of if, right. but when. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, you'd think. I mean, there is a tremendous amount of shame associated uh-huh. with it, um, uh-huh. and and that is one of the you know the main barriers for people coming forward and asking for help because there still is you know tremendous amount of shame. However, yes. I think that's kind of dwindling the younger you get because it, yeah, is, it is so normalized, and the fact that it actually has been promoted as something beneficial to relationships, spice your, spice up your sex life, watch it with your spouse. It's like no, really, not a good <laughs> idea. You know, neurochemically, really bad idea for your relationship to actually bring that in there because we are made different men and women does it affect us differently you you ask the best questions Joyce (laughs) thanks (laughs) what I find fascinating is Uh yes it does affect us differently we although we get addicted the same way and you know our reward center gets hijacked in exactly the same way how we're actually interacting with the pornography is different So guys objectify what they're watching, which makes sense. But women project themselves into the action. So now women are actually conditioning their brains to be aroused by by projecting themselves into situations where they are being degraded and humiliated and abused. Um, And this has tremendous impact on, you know, people's sex life where they need their partner to be treating them in a certain way and it's distressing for both partners because normal normal everyday marital sex is not going to do it for them because they need that high now what happens is um normal sex becomes boring because they're they're you know what's happening in the brain is everything it's just like other drugs you know how you know you progress from beer to hard you know liquor it's the same with pornography Mm. So pornography really is really programming you to be abused. If you and women, it is because they object because they project themselves into the action. And so it's grooming people to accept and expect to be degraded and humiliated. And, you know, to, to accept this pornographic ideology, which is, you know, women want sex all the time. You know, Mm -hmm. we're always up for it and our pleasure doesn't matter whatsoever. And whatever happens to us, no matter how horrible, we love it. And when we say no, we actually mean yes. I mean, this is really nasty stuff that we are being indoctrinated with and changing our culture because, Mm. you know, rape myth, you know, is is a huge problem now that women don't Mm -hmm. actually, you know, that you know, that really no means right. yes, because that is what people are, you know, we know marketing works. We know what, what you watch affects how you think, but somehow yeah. in pornography, we go, oh no, it's just fantasy. 
not affecting the way I think. It doesn't matter. I can watch all those people doing all that stuff and it's not affecting me. I completely compartmentalize it. It's not true. Wow. That's big right there. Yeah. yeah. Really, it is, Rosie. Mercy. So is there a type of personality that is drawn to porn? There used to be. There used to be sort of before we had the internet. So it used to be people who came from dysfunctional families who had a predilection to, you know, becoming addicted. Not anymore. Not anymore. This is your, you know, it can be your 10 year old girl, a student on the ballet team, on the swim team, you know, good girl is doing this, you know, in her bedroom on her own. There is no profile anymore, which is why we have to get this message out and just make people aware because it is so it is so addictive. It really is. Um, and internet porn is particularly addictive because what keeps you hooked mm-hmm. is endless novelty. It's, you know, you can watch something and eventually it loses its, its uh, appeal. Mm-hmm. You know, a magazine, you're like, you'd run out of pages or I right. watched the video 50 times. It's no longer doing it for me. The internet, you can have something new, something novel, and people watch with multiple screens up. So they're flicking from this to that, to this, to that, going down all these horrible, dark, you know, rabbit holes of material because they're seeking the next hit, seeking the next hit, seeking the next hit. And our brains are not designed to cope with those crazy chemicals that just come at this incredible rate while we're watching this type of pornography. So um, what happens is suddenly our brain, the way that our brain responds is it sort of numbs everything down in a very basic Mm way. Um, explanation. It just numbs everything down. So now you actually need a hit of your drug to feel normal because normal life is really boring. Yeah. And hobbies no longer do it. Hanging out with your wife, your kids irritate you. Just everything is boring. You need a hit of your drug to feel normal, but your drug's no longer really doing it. So you need to hit on something stronger, something harder, or do it for longer. So you're in this spiral of progressively yeah. feeling worse and your drug is not doing it. It is absolute bondage. It really is, which is why I have tremendous compassion for people who, who are addicted to this. You know, mm-hmm. you can get hooked so quickly and so easily. And people get, most people get hooked when they're really young. They can't wow. help it. It's not that they went seeking this. They didn't say, oh, I'm going to get up and wreck my yeah. life today. You know, they are literally being enslaved. Right. I, I'm, my mind was going toward, is that, could that be contributing to, I'm constantly shocked at this increase of people, adults having, uh, looking for sex with younger children, with children. And I'm wondering if that programming is coming through their porn watching early on in life and just accelerating as they age. Yeah. The, the most commonly searched thing for is, you know, teen or pretend teen, like, you know, women who are dressed up to look really young. Porn is getting younger and younger and more violent as, you know, the normal stuff is no longer cutting it for the audience. So they, they're always having to push the envelope. They're always having to do more things. And yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I think this is what the problem is. I mean, it is totally normalizing uh, objectifying, you know, sex with minors. It really is because, you know, yeah. just fantasy. It's like, well, no, you're programming your brains to be aroused by that. It doesn't mean if you're watching this stuff, it doesn't mean that you're then going to act out with a real person. That's a different yeah. category of user. Okay. Yeah. However, it is normalizing it. Right. Yeah. So for the couple that like in your situation, you discovered this very early on, what is some of the things that the woman who is shocked by this, such as you were, um, if, if they hadn't had your history, if they hadn't had the experience, what would they need to be, what step, what's the next step once they realize this is the situation they're in? Yeah, so I'd say there's sort of a three-step process. The first one is educate yourself. I mean, th- this is an absolute, it, it just feels like you're falling down a rabbit hole. Like, how is this possible? How... And when you start reading stuff and you go, how does everybody not know this stuff? So what you need to do is really educate yourself. And there's some great resources out there. There really are that actually gives you the courage and conviction to stand upon your gut instinct, which is 
this is not right. This is not healthy. This is not helping our relationship. I want this out. But once you, once you educate yourself, you can actually stand on that because the messages that you're going to get from the world are, nah, everybody does it. It's not a big deal. This is your oh, problem. Yeah. You know, yeah. just have more sex with them. It's fine. And then you might go to the church and they'll say, oh, everybody struggles. If, you know, it's the wife's job to satisfy her husband, get on with it, you know, spice things up, you know, forgive him, pray for him, you know, overlook it. Neither of those, neither of those sort of input are helpful. You actually need to stand firm and stand firm from an informed point of view. So you need to educate yourself on what it's doing to his brain, what it's doing to you as a woman, as a partner, because you might realize, oh, that's the reason I've got stomach issues. That's mm-hmm. the reason I can't sleep. That's the reason mm-hmm. that I don't want to, you know, go out anymore or I don't want to have sex anymore. It really is affecting us in lots of ways. And once you start to connect those dots, you go, well, I don't want that for my life. I want to be healthy and happy, right. you know, despite what he does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so, so the first point was um, education. And the second yeah. point was find support because yes. this is really hard and it's really lonely. And you do feel like you're the only person in the world who is dealing with this. And you're really not, you're really not. Our Facebook group has like 600 women. You are not alone really? by wow. any, by any means, the imagination. And it's just so cool to have other people come alongside and validate you and go, no, that's not normal. You're living in crazy land. You're right. It's okay. You're going to get through this. So once you feel like you have that support and you know what you're talking about, then you can do the final stage, which is stand firm and actually mm. confront the issue and say, right. you know, if, if you're in a, a good relationship, but you know, it's not overtly affecting you and he's not being, um, too gaslighty or, uh, you know, defensive, then you can come at it from a, you know, I think we've got this hole in the boat. We've never really had this conversation about pornography, but I want to know what your relationship is with it because I feel like it's affecting us. And I love us and our marriage too much to let it go down the toilet because of your um, compulsive use of this. If he is, if he, you know, if you sense that you're going to get tremendous pushback, then I would suggest, I would suggest that you have to draw a firmer line. Say this is not going to be part of our relationship. Okay. You need help. And if you're not willing to get help, then I'm getting help because either way, this is no longer going to um, infect our marriage in the way that it has been. So difficult three-step process, but doable. Yeah, not easy, not easy. <laughs> Those are all challenging. I was, um, I, I hate to throw this word around, but I was in, um, married to a narcissist and it took me forever, ever to identify the issues in my marriage because I kept thinking it was me, it's me, like a woman would think. And so I would think that a woman dealing with porn in the right relationship would also keep thinking it's me, it's me, it's me. And so I can see so many of these things being real challenges. You're right. 75% of wives of uh, porn addicts think that it's their fault at some point. It's so, and quite often they tell us, they go, if you just had more sex, if you could just get over yourself, what is your problem? You know, everybody else does it you know, they actually tell us it's our fault. Or if you, I mean, some are, you know, some husbands, unfortunately, you know, if you were thinner, if you were this, if you were that, I mean, unfortunately that is, you know, not all husbands, some husbands are, are, you know, not being abusive at all, but there is a spectrum. Um, And especially if you're dealing with someone with narcissism on top of that, you know, oh my goodness, all the gaslighting and everything. And that's Mm -hmm. why it's important for you to find that support, grab that slug of oxygen from your own mask before you even think about trying to tackle what's going on in your relationship you need sanity you need clarity before you can even start to address what's going on yes yes um where does one if they're in small town tyler texas where does one get support because these are subjects we don't talk about in the church we don't talk about anywhere it is a silent secret. And so how does one find the support? Because it's not just a typical therapist that's going to do this either, I wouldn't think. Yeah. And that's where Fight for Love Ministries stands in the gap. 
because we are the virtual ministry that would be it'd be great if it was in every church you know people yeah. doing it people who were educated and had all the resources ready but it's not so we're doing it virtually and we have women from all over the world so what we've done is we have aggregated and curated all the resource not all of them but as many as we can find and approve of in one place so come to us and we'll say, okay, this is how you find a therapist. This is a good, you know, these are the options for your support groups in your situation. Mm-hmm. And these are some, some of the basics that you need to know. And here are some stories of real women who have, who have on the other side. And here's some stories of, of women who are actually dealing with it right now in real time. And that is yeah. so validating to actually hear that it is possible and what it feels like, because it's all very well to hear these, you know, oh, well, we struggled, you know, but that was 10 years ago and now everything's shiny. It's like, no, I need to hear from other women who are dealing with it now, because what we're, what we're trying to do is give people a glimpse, a taste, a flavor of what recovery sounds like and feels like. And recovery is cool. It's the coolest place with the best support, with the best women. You're going to find your best friends there. And you can just tell that we just love each other and find great joy in each other and humor. And, you know, there are tears of laughter, tears of, you know, sorrow, compassion. This is what recovery is all about. And so we just want to expedite that process from discovery to recovery. So come to us, get a taste. We'll point you in the right direction. And there are so many wonderful Christian recovery ministries out there waiting for you who have got these groups running all, you know, all different times of the day and different time zones. And you can just ah. slot right on into them. I know that it's like this underground secret world that nobody knows about until you need to know about it. Yeah. That's what we're just trying to raise the profile and go, there is help. There's awesome people out there who can really help you. And you were right in saying that not every counselor is qualified to help. And some counselors Mm -hmm. do harm. Inadvertently. Oh, yes. I think I experienced them. (laughs) I'm sorry. I know, but it's so common. We're terribly naive in our, our search. And I think it's really important to not have somebody have to go through that experience Mm -hmm. because it just adds frustration to the situation. It's, I think it's, I think it's further traumatizing because Mm -hmm. someone's telling you that I just have more sex with them and it'll cure it. And it's like, Mm -hmm. but I've tried that. It doesn't work. And you feel literally crazy and more hopeless and more helpless. Like that's the advice. It doesn't Mm -hmm. work. So you say for people to come to you, where is that? The website is fightforloveministries.org and we have a Facebook group, um, Fight for Love Fellowship. The podcast is called Fight for Love and the book is called Fight for Love and that's published through Lifeway. So in steps one, would they get your book? Would they go immediately to the Facebook group or is there an intro place for them? To be honest, because it's free, I'd go to the podcast. (laughs) Uh, Okay. (laughs) <laughs> well that's what I'd do I'd go and check it out and go well I'm gonna have a listen see what they're all about go to yes. the website see what we're all about and then if you do want sort of a baseline of information quickly buy the book I mean I recommend because it just saves you having to ask all those basic questions because that's what I've tried to do is answer all those initial questions like is it my yeah. fault will it get better will I ever trust him again what do I really need to do you know how do I protect my kids what if I'm looking all those early questions I've tried to just put in one place so that you can easily right. read. it's a quick read yeah. it's an easy read yeah. and then we signpost you to all the other places so like okay recovery this is your unfortunate situation do not despair here are the places that can help you we're like the ambulance so mm. people come in they've had this car crash we're the ambulance and we're going to pick you up and and take you to the hospital where you're going to receive the you know the, the full healing that is available to you oh that's that's awesome it sounds I like it good I like that that confidence and support there now I would think for me if I were doing it I don't go to the book because I want to know the how-to the steps what it was wrong you know but I do so see that I'm a big podcast advocate as you can probably know but um, because also I want to do for women in transition because we're always transitioning from one thing to another and so that's why I started this podcast many years ago um, but the podcast always brings in, I think, different personalities that you can identify. You may not always identify with who's speaking, but you can certainly find one there that you will hang on to and go, oh, she's me. Yeah, <laughs> That's me she's talking about. 
And it is so helpful to know there's another me out there simply because you're not unique. You're not a freak. You're, you're just yeah. normal human trying to make it through this life. You're absolutely right. And, and it reminds me of, um, so when we started, we had a panel of five. Yes. Word Fab Five, and it was a bit like The View, but we just talk about pornography. And okay. so everyone's sort of got their, you know, personalities. It was a bit like the Spice Girls. It's like, that's the nice one. That's the angry one. That's the, the strange British one, you know. But people did identify with different people, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's what was wonderful. Because although we have commonalities, we are all unique. And also mm-hmm. our circumstances are unique. And what we're trying to do now is we started with women who are on the other side and their marriages survive. But that's not the reality. You know, many marriages don't make it. The husbands remain unrepentant and won't get into recovery. And those women have to go into recovery on their own. And they do. You know, there is a message of hope there because, you know, now we're incorporating the stories and we've got people on the team now who had to go the divorce route. Yes. And they have tremendous stories of hope and new life and everything. And then we also where where we're going at the moment is we want to talk to the dating section as well let's do preventative let's stop this let's stop you walking down the aisle with uh you know an unacknowledged porn addiction let's deal with it before and you know then then you can walk down the aisle on a much stronger foundation and you don't need to go through what we went through yeah well how does the wife discover that the husband is watching porn well that's a good question okay so what are the red flags that's what you're asking me okay so there's going to be red flags inside the bedroom and outside the bedroom. So inside, guys tend to go one of two ways. And I'm saying guys, mm-hmm. but it can be either way. Yeah. They either become hypersexual. So, and that that makes sense, doesn't it? You know, ooh, mm-hmm. they're always in that world. They must be, mm-hmm. you know, hypersexed up. So they might become coercive um, or manipulative or demanding, you know, always expecting sex, always wanting you to try new things that make you feel mm-hmm. uncomfortable. You're feeling pressured, manipulated, all that stuff. Yeah. Or the other 50%, they become sexually avoidant. They want nothing to do with their wives. Their brains have been conditioned to be aroused by this isolated voyeuristic experience and a real woman no longer does it. Doesn't matter if you were actually looking and acting like a porn star, you would no longer do it for him because you are real. And it's it's absolutely devastating. And wives do not understand how can he be looking at porn? He's obviously being sexual but yeah he's completely ignoring me it has to be me and it's not it really isn't um but the good news is it is reversible you know through recovery um because i i say it's a bit like i use the analogy of a of the snow queen that hans christian anderson snow queen where there's a an evil mirror that gets shattered and goes out into the world and it gets in people's eyes and it makes them look at the world differently they see the ugly and evil in, in people and things. And this is kind of what's happened with pornography. Your partner is no longer viewing the world the same way. Mm. So even if he was wanting to be sexual with you, he's got this shard of glass in his eye. So he's going to be viewing you like he's viewing that. So you, it's, you don't want to compete. Right. You don't want to be replacing the porn. You actually yes. want the shard of glass out of his eye. And yeah. that's what recovery will do so that he's able to appreciate you and emotionally connect with you and actually start to connect his sexuality with his emotional intimacy. You know, that's what recovery is all about. It's not about getting your marriage back minus the pornography. It's about creating something new, something you might not have oh, even had before. Good point. Say that again. Say that again. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> I like that, Rosie. <laughs> The goal is not to get your old marriage back minus the pornography. Your yeah. goal is to have a new marriage for one full of authenticity, emotional intimacy, vulnerability, honesty, trust. Mm. And if your partner has been medicating, you probably never had it in the first place. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I say to women at the beginning of recovery, if you could just snap your fingers and get rid of the porn, would you be happy with the relationship that you have Mm. and they say no I still felt disconnected he wasn't there I didn't really feel connected so the way out of porn addiction the way that you get through this is um you have to learn those intimacy skills which then become the healthy coping mechanism healthy coping mechanism (laughs) and it's why you cannot do recovery on your own 
you absolutely need to do it in fellowship and ideally fellowship that is professionally facilitated. It's just, you know, let's not mess about, let's not waste time, get the best help you can, because otherwise you can be stuck in faux recovery, you know, in a sympathy group, not a recovery group where the guys are not being a hundred percent honest. They're just coming in and going, Ooh, I struggled a bit and go, Ooh, yeah, it's hard, isn't it? As opposed to actually getting out, not only what they've done, but everything that's underneath. I'm resentful of my wife. My kids drive me crazy. You know, I hate blah, 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 blah. They need to vomit all that out and discover that actually you can be real and people still love you and still support mm-hmm. you and still yes. accept you. That yeah. is groundbreaking. That is, yeah. that's when everything changes and you go, oh my goodness, I am actually loved and accepted for who I am. I don't need to hide. I don't need to medicate. It is possible. So once you've learned those skills in your recovery group, you then take them back into your marriage and mm-hmm. you have this new, you know, yeah. scary, vulnerable, <laughs> wonderful you know, burgeoning relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So you did, you talked about that. It wasn't just his recovery. It's also your recovery. It's the woman's recovery as well for attracting. I'm calling attracting his personality traits to match your personality traits. Well, actually I I thought that that was my thought coming into it. So I thought, Oh, it must be me. It must be me, but actually no. I mean, you might have codependence and traits coming into this. And I certainly did. However, and this is what they used to say about recovery. They used to, when you came in as the partner of a porn addict, they used to go, oh, well, you're codependent. And, you know, it's like, well, hang on, I'm suffering here. And now it's my fault. And it it just felt very further traumatic and unfair. And a lot of wives really felt very harmed and unheard. Mm -hmm. So what the recovery now is, it's focused through a trauma lens. So although you may be coming in with some, everybody's got baggage. Yes, right. You did not necessarily make this happen. You might, I mean, I certainly had had a repeated pattern of picking, um, you know, addicts, Mm -hmm. whether they were windsurfing or whatever. I just had this repeated pattern, but many women don't. So I want to say that, that you did, you know, a you know, you didn't do, you didn't make this happen. Mm, you might have okay. your own stuff that you will then deal with because as you're dealing with the trauma that has been put on you through trying to just trying to survive living mm-hmm. with an addict, mm-hmm. because a lot of the way, a lot of the unhealthy ways that wives react uh, that were labeled as codependent, like, Oh, well, you're not putting boundaries or you're not yes. doing this or you're overcompensating or you're parenting actually are just coping mechanisms for trying to create safety. So, which is a much much more helpful way of approaching this. So yes, we have developed these unhealthy coping mechanisms, but it's not because we were inherently broken. It's, although you might've been, I was, but not necessarily, (laughs) really not necessarily at all. Right. Right. It's just the way that you have maladapted to cope with the fact that you're trying to make sense of your reality and you're trying to make it work. So if he's, you know, not doing this, this and this, and you're having to pick up the slack, who wouldn't? It doesn't mean that you were inherently trying to control or parents or any of this. It just means that you were just trying to cope or the fact that if you become the detective, like you're constantly you know, uh, searching his phone or, which I don't recommend, but if you're constantly (laughs) doing those things, it's not because you're an over-controlling person. It's because you're freaked out. Your world is shaking. And every couple of days he keeps saying, oh, uh, you know, I I was looking at porn the other day and it, you, you can't, it's like there's an earthquake and there are still these aftershocks going. And so the way that you're coping with it are unhealthy ways, but it's the only way that you know how to cope which is why your own recovery is so important mm, because yeah. you find out what actually does help and you get healing for that because yeah. nobody wants to be coping in unhealthy ways, but how do you know how else to do it? Unless somebody mm-hmm. comes alongside you and says, this is what's actually going on and this is what's going to help. So I'm really glad you brought that up because mm-hmm. a lot of people, you know, um, have received this. There must be something wrong with you if you've attracted him. I certainly got yes. that message. You know, there's yes. something wrong with you. There's something wrong with you. And it's like, well, there's something wrong with everybody. However, yeah. right. I didn't cause his sin in this right. particular yeah. aspect. Yeah. But yeah. you know, 
And the more work I do in coaching and working with other people, I think we're all continue to grow in our own image, in our health of ourselves. You know, I'm, I love myself a lot more today than I did five years ago, 10 years ago. And I think we're always in evolving into a, a wholer person. I would certainly want that for everybody, more grounded person in their life. And so, you know, I guess I'll probably go to grave and I'll, I'll still be growing. That's how I look at it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 That sanctification process. Does it ever end? I know it doesn't. (laughs) So I think that right there, we need to give ourselves some grace that we're not going to, I used to think when I was adult, I will have all the answers. I know. Did you have that? No, I know. It hasn't happened yet. Well, no. (laughs) So let's just erase that, that we are always evolving into the better of ourselves. And so just take some grace, give us some grace. But the one thing I found in recovery is that before I got into recovery, I sort of assumed that you could have it all together. And then once I fell into this, it was like, I went around and sort of asked everybody and not everybody, but quite a lot of people in my life. have you ever done any recovery? Like, are you in the club? Have you, you know, like slipped behind the veil and realized that we're all really messed up and and done some work on yourself? And it was kind of like people who had and people who hadn't. And if I go to a conference and I'm assigned a roommate Mm -hmm. and they go, oh, I'm in recovery for this. I go, yes, you're one of us. (laughs) You know, because immediately you can talk to them on a level of like, oh, you know, just a level of authenticity that, you know, we don't all have it together and it's okay. It's okay, mm-hmm. you know, and I find there's tremendous freedom in that. So even though this whole journey is horrible and no one would ever wish it on anybody, it is a really strange gift. Mm. It really is a strange gift because I have discovered so much about myself and improved my ability to have relationships and things in a way that I never, ever, ever would have done before unless forced to look at stuff. Yeah, good point. Really good point. <laughs> As much as we don't like those mirrors, but yeah. <laughs> but they are full of growth. That's what I um, love about the women that I interviewed, just like yourself. There's so much that is rewarded after we go through the pain. And it, it's like, oh, well, this was for a purpose. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, it is worth our purpose. Now, you all, you and your husband have been on this journey and you create, you know, you are the founder of your Christian work, your organization, Fight for Love Ministries. How long has this been in development? It started how many years ago? Um, well, it's sort of been growing for, I'd say, past last 10 years, but really mm-hmm. taking off in the last maybe two. So before that, we had community, you know, it was more regional, So it'd be like the central coast of California. We'd have regional events and, you know, get togethers and we'd go and do presentations and things in our local churches. But now we've gone national and even global. And we want to, we want to reach a hundred thousand women in this message because we reckon that if we can reach one woman, we'll save her on average, like 10 years of being in that horrible stuck place between discovery and recovery. That's a million years. You know, Mm -hmm. we've got this goal. Why not? Because I do believe as soon as you point women in the right direction, they run with it because they've been trying so hard for so long in the wrong directions. Mm-hmm. And there's so much, there's so much reward for, with community. Yeah. I mean, it is just so strong. And the thing that I like about today after COVID, we are so much more connected all over the world. Yeah. I mean, Zoom is, you know, as much as I, fought against becoming zoomed it is wonderful I love being able to see your face and and talk to you and it becomes more and more natural to me now I'm a toucher so I can't reach out and touch you I would tap you on the hand or the arm which is my southern way but uh but outside of those I mean those old things I am feel so blessed to be living in this time that we have the ability to go across country Mm -hmm. and and talk to the best 
and experience really people that know what they're talking about. And so that's good for me. I and agree. Anybody else. I agree. It really, especially, it's, I mean, it's revolutionized um, recovery because yes. you know, most, if not all therapists are now doing appointments by Zoom. So you I can know. have the best therapist helping you you can hear them on a podcast and go oh they sound lovely and ring them up and and zoom with them the next week it's phenomenal you know and and that's the the most beautiful thing that I do and the thing that I enjoy the most is connecting women Mm -hmm. with these resources it's like Mm -hmm. what what a cool job is that you know like these need help these are giving help let's put them together I love it so your show, your podcast is made up of five different women interviewing was, on rotation? What, no, we started off, the first season was, that was the initial thing. I was like, let's just see what happens. Let's get, we take a topic like, will I ever trust my husband again? And then yeah. we'd have, you know, five people's perspectives on that. So we did that yeah. with sort of the basics, like what is recovery? What does it look like? What are the stages? Why do I need a period of celibacy? What's a full disclosure? All those things. Mm-hmm. And then from that, um, I've sort of, I've done different seasons. So I'm, I do a lot of unmissable ministries where I focus on other people's ministries. Like they might be running um, support for wives. They might be, uh, they, they might be authors who've written really good resources, just something that's connected that, you know, practical tools. Yes. Um, and then also I have stories from women from, who've come from our Facebook group um, their testimonies in real time. So mm. then you can listen to their stories, what's actually happening, and then go in the Facebook group and you can chat with them. Um, nice. So I'm just, but my my focus this particular season is a faith-based one because the mm-hmm. aspect that doesn't often get acknowledged is that if you're a betrayed spouse, mm-hmm. this is going to affect your faith. And it's really common to have a bit of a crisis of faith. And if there's one thing you can't say in the church, even more than my husband struggles with porn, is that I'm actually doubting everything now. Mm. So we're just sort of putting that out there and actually acknowledging that if your ground has, if your world has been shaken like this, every aspect is going to be shaken and it's okay. And it's mm-hmm. possibly a, a time, as you say, of growth that not only can your faith deconstruct, but it can reconstruct in a more real way. And Mm -hmm. so we're having testimonies of faith and experts Mm -hmm. speak into that. Okay. My question would be, if I'm a listener, if I go to the Methodist church, what is, is your, is your faith based upon the Bible or is it based upon being connected to Methodist, whatever, Presbyterian, Catholic, Mm-hmm. Does, are there any conflicts in that? Is that going to cause me an issue there? Are no. they going to? No. No, 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 no. I mean, that's the beautiful thing. Like, I'm sure we have a huge political spectrum. We have lots of nominations, but nobody ever talks about that stuff at all. Okay. Like, we're, right. that. I mean, it, to be honest, it's like a little utopia in today's society where we are all united. We're, everybody is united because this is our focus and we are there to support people. So, Absolutely. It's the porn that's the focus. It's, yeah, yeah. And, the, and the commonality that everybody is suffering mm-hmm. in the same way. I mean, I, I know for a fact that people have got very, you know, if we got into a political argument, they'd be oh, far no, 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 no. But, but, you know, or, or sort of a denominational one, but but absolutely not, you know. Yeah. We're very explicit about our faith, um, uh-huh. but there are no denominational theological yeah. contentions or anything like that. That's not what we're there for. Okay, Rosie. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, so as we're nearing the end of our time together today, I want to go listen. To, I just want to go listen to your podcast so I can hear that lovely accent again. <laughs> but but what is your main, what is your focus? You said, you told us briefly about what's your focus, but where do you see in the next three years your organization? Ooh, that's a good question. I've not been asked that one before. Well, we've literally this week, I think it was mm-hmm. on two days ago, we had our first team meeting because I've expanded the team to there's now 12 women. Yeah. They've come from all over. And we we want to really take this message large and we want to get in the conferences and we want to get in churches and we want to reach women where they are. We want to reach women who are not even looking for this 
who are just sort of dealing with this in their everyday life. They haven't told anybody because they think it's their own fault. And then they just happen to go to a conference and what's this booth? What's this about? Or, you know, there's a, there's a church um, event in your area and all the women are invited and we just, they just get a presentation. We just want to make it, we want to, we just want to make it a really credible, comprehensive experience Mm -hmm. um, to just, I mean, we want, we want to give every woman, including those who are not actually being personally affected, a baseline of information. Mm -hmm. So we'd like, you know, this is not like a secret Bible study in a room dealing with this, you know, possibly have to meet out of hours. So nobody knows that it's really you. We want to, you know, get into the mainstream women's ministry. Like all of you need this baseline of information because 50% of you are dealing with it. And the other 50% of you love those women. And when they come to you going, I don't know what to do. You go, it's all right. I've done a class on this. I totally know what's right, what's not right. And where you can go to find help. So we all need to know that more sex is not going to help it. This is not your fault. There is hope. A porn-free marriage is possible. You need to stand firm and I'm going to stand behind you. So beautiful. What a great, great mission you have. Thank you. Touching so many lives and making a difference. You know, I applaud you. I'm so happy you you were on Second Wind because there are women out there that need their Second Wind in this area as well as in all different areas. So thank you for being on the show today. It's been my pleasure to have you. Mine too. Thank you, Joyce. Yeah. So as we go forward, if you know somebody out there that may need this message, you may know they need this message without even having the conversation. Guide them toward this. Guide them to Second Wind today. And then guide them to fightforloveministries.org so that Rosie can share her wealth of knowledge. We never know who we're touching. And we never know what, we, what the difference can be in sharing our information. So till I speak to you next week, I hope you have a great week. And it's a holiday, you know, in the States. So enjoy. And uh, have a great week. Thank you for being here today. It's always a pleasure to know you're out there listening.